Well, it had been quite some time, actually, since Zachariah had been visited by the angel and told that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a son. They were to name the son John. And this son would be the one, they were told, that would be the one who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. You know the story. Having found this whole idea a bit difficult to believe since they were well past the age when they were able to have children, the angel told Zechariah that he would be unable to speak until the promise was fulfilled and the child was born. And so it was now a little over nine months later that this surprised and proud father found himself holding this newborn son in his arms and discovering that he can speak again. And out of the fullness of his heart, not only does he speak, he sings. He sings. The passage that we just read for our scripture this morning, Dr. Bob shared with us, is known as Zachariah's Song. Sometimes you hear it referred to as Benedictus. And though these verses are not ones that tend to get a lot of attention during the Christmas season, still it's a song that is well worth listening to not only because you detect woven through it the joy of a father who is now experiencing something he never thought would happen, holding his own newborn son, but also because it captures and anticipates an even more miraculous coming of another son, whom Zachariah's son, John, was going to prepare the way for. It's a song about salvation. It's a song about embracing forgiveness and realizing God's tender mercy. It's a song about how all of that culminates together by guiding our feet onto the path of peace. The path of peace. That's the note that the song ends on and the experience toward which it moves. A path that can seem as elusive to us today as it did to the people living in the time of Zechariah. You know, I, I suspect that most of us have had those moments when we have been on our way to somewhere, especially if it's someplace that we're not familiar with, and we have come to the realization that we are not at all sure that we are on the right path or that we're going the right direction. Even worse, we may get to the place where not only are we not sure that we're going the right way, but we may discover that we're not exactly sure even where we are anymore. I still remember one very late night many, many years ago when we were still living in Loma Linda that Lael and I were driving home from a family gathering actually in Orange County. It was very, very late and I was very tired. And the reality of the situation is that I had no business driving in the state that I was in. But I was. Uh, Lael was asleep in the passenger seat next to me and I was doing the best I could to get home. I apparently was awake enough, however, to recognize the Mountain View on-ramp when we finally got to Loma Linda. And so when I got there, I did what I normally did. Pretty much on autopilot, I got off on the off-ramp, drove to the end, and turned left. The only problem with that was, was tonight I was not coming home from the church. I was coming home from Orange County. So when I turned left, I found myself going in the opposite direction I normally would on Mountain View which meant, especially at that time, that I was driving out towards this wonderful open area that used to surround Norton Air Force Base, 
where there's absolutely nothing. Well, it was late, and it was dark, and uh, the visibility was not very good, and uh, I was just not with it at all. And in less than a mile, although at the time I had no idea how long I had driven or how long I had been on the road or how far I had gone, I found myself looking out the windshield of my car and realizing that I had no idea in the world where I was. (laughs) Nothing looked familiar. I looked like I was in the middle of nowhere. And, and so I did the only thing that made sense to me at the time. I woke Lael up and said, um, <laughs> I, I was just wondering, do you have any idea where we are? <laughs> well, she, she kind of looked around, and she didn't have a clue either, and in fact was not real impressed with what was happening <laughs> at that point. You know, I, re- I really didn't know. I thought I might be out in the middle of the desert somewhere. I, I didn't even have a clue. So as I sat there trying to kind of gather together what I had left of wits at that point, I figured the only thing I really could do is turn the car around and start going back the way I'd come. And maybe I would recognize something that would give me an idea of where I was going. Well, I can't even tell you what a relief it was when just less than a mile later, I came to the 10 freeway and finally realized what I was doing, where I was, got my bearings back and was able to get back on the right path once again. In that case, all I had to do was recognize that I was lost, turn around, and go back the way I'd come. You know, now some 15 years later, there are uh, better ways to go about this. They have these wonderful little GPS devices. Some of you have them, in the, some of you may have them built into the dashboard of your car. You can get little handheld things. So that if I'm unsure about my location on a road or a highway, or even on a trail in the wilderness somewhere that seems to have disappeared in front of me, I have the source of guidance from above, if I can figure out how to read it, that will help me know exactly where I am and give me kind of this hint or this clue on what the direction is that I need to go from there. So I can again find the path that seems to elude me. Well, I think it was in the midst of a people who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah and for whom the path had become obscure and who had made some wrong wrong turns along the way that Zachariah's song came as somewhat of a GPS device for them. And maybe as we listen in on the song a little bit this morning, we may discover that it does the same for us as well. Helps us both figure out where we are And it gives us some clues about where the path lies that we need to be traveling. And so this morning, what I'd like to invite you to do is to take out your Bible or maybe one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring yours with you. And turn with me to Luke chapter 1, where beginning with verse 67, we find this song recorded. It's a wonderful opportunity to listen to this song that anticipates the coming of the Messiah even as we do that in the Christmas season now. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 67. And what we notice as we begin reading here is the first thing that Luke tells us before the song begins. Listen to what he says with verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, you remember from our series that we just finished a couple of weeks ago that prophecy is much less 
about predicting events in the distant future as it is about helping us to see the significance of the moment that we're significance of the moment that we're living in right now and also that those who are thus moved by the spirit to prophesy are people who are somehow able to see help us to see more than we would otherwise be able to see and in fact are people who wind up saying more than they might otherwise be able to say and that is exactly what we see Zechariah doing here as he prophesies moved by the spirit he lifts our vision upward and invites us to see things from God's perspective he invites us to see things that we otherwise might not be able to see something that's very desperately needed to be seen in the midst of the circumstances that sometimes make the path ahead difficult or obscure and we're not sure how to follow let's listen to what he sings Look at verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And then he continues on in verses 69 to 75 and sings about being rescued from enemies, being rescued from the hands of those who hate them, so that they would be able to serve God without fear without fear being that motivating factor in the back of our minds that drive us to do the things that we do and to experience a kind of peace that is free from the motivation of fear. That's an incredible thing to sing about and something that perhaps was as rare to them then as it is to so many of us today. Well, it's true that in Zechariah's time, Rome did do its own job, its own way, had its own way of keeping the peace. The kind of peace that Rome provided, in fact, known as the Pax Romana, was one that depended on fear and on force. And if you were to look around Palestine in those days, the hundreds of crosses that you would see on hillsides testified to the way that Rome went about keeping the peace. They were there as a reminder of what happened to those who questioned the authority of Rome and who dared to stand in opposition to what Rome was about. And, of course, as you know, among the Jews, there was a wide variety of responses to the peace that Rome provided, all of which, in one way or another, miss the path that Zacharias sings about. Some of the responses, like those of the Sadducees, sought their own version of peace by accepting certain political realities of the situation and making the compromises and doing the things they needed to do in order to retain their power and their control. Others, like the Pharisees, sought a sense of peace by separating themselves away from it all and focusing on getting the rules and the regulations and doing everything just right, hoping that that would bring them a sense of peace. Still others went to work for the government, hoping that that would bring them a sense of security while others despised anyone who did so and labeled them as a traitor. Zealots, of course, felt that if the cause was holy, that violence and military force were acceptable methods of bringing about God's reign of peace. After all, it was what the world needed. And here in the midst of it all, Zacharias sings. Zacharias sings a different and yet strangely compelling song, at least for those who had ears to hear. 
Singing about the role that his own son John was going to play in all of this, he continues the song in verse 76. Uh, Listen some more to what he says. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then notice how he says this will happen. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. See, preparing to enter this path of peace that Zechariah was singing about involved grasping that salvation is all about forgiveness. And forgiveness is something that's offered to us not as a result of how well we are doing and how good we are, but because of God's tender mercy. Forgiveness is not something we get as a reward because we have been such good people, but something we receive as we are willing to realize and to admit, as much as we are loved and valued by God, how fundamentally flawed we really are, and that that doesn't change easily. In fact, forgiveness is really much less about us at all, and much more about God and his incredible mercy. And so the first step in the path of peace that Zechariah sings about has to do with our willingness to fully own our own faultiness and our own brokenness. You see, when Jesus said that I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners, he meant exactly what he was talking about. And when we really get that, both the joy that springs from knowing that we are recipients of God's tender mercy and the humility that comes from knowing that we genuinely need it changes the way that we see things. Changes the way that we see each other. Have you ever noticed that when we're not trying so hard to convince others about how good and how right we are, that we actually do a much better job listening? Notice the imagery that Zechariah uses as he continues to describe this in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The rising sun coming from heaven, shining on us in our darkness and on the shadow of death and that being able to guide our feet into the path of peace. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, it's when I am the most focused on myself and have lost sight of both grace and humility that I am most readily able and willing to designate others as the enemy. And once we have tagged someone as evil or the enemy or the problem, It is amazing and even frightening, especially when we do it in contrast to our own goodness and righteousness, the kinds of things that we can feel justified in doing, sometimes failing to realize that the most dangerous axis of evil is not what we see outside of us, but what we find inside of us, which is perhaps why Jesus' own counsel as to how we are to relate to our enemies so often goes unheeded, even by those who claim to listen to his words the most carefully. 
But you know what? Strange and wonderful things can happen when both grace and humility have a chance to take root. Because when the light begins to shine in dark places and we begin to see things differently, sometimes we discover that before we even know what's happened to us, we're beginning to take those first steps in the paths of peace. I love the illustration that Brian McLaren shared with uh, a chapel program at Omaha University a few weeks back, where he talked about the way that this is demonstrated and illustrated powerfully in the words of Paul that you find in Colossians chapter 1. In a world where the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, reigned, and which depended on the peace that depended on silencing opposition, and which was expressed by identifying the enemy and literally crucifying those who were a threat, we find God providing a very different example of the cross as a way to peace. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, beginning with verse 19. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Bit of a different approach to peace, isn't it? Does it make you wonder at all what Jesus might have been talking about when he invites us to take up our cross and to follow? You know, at the core of Zechariah's, Zechariah's son's message, at the core of John's message that we read in the New Testament, was the call to repent. You remember reading those passages over and over again where John calls people to repent. All repent means is to simply turn and to take another path, a path of grace and humility and forgiveness, the path of peace. And I can't help but wonder if we were really willing to hear, if we were really willing to listen, how much we might be changed by Zachariah's song. The story is told of a group of people who actually once did dare to listen to a song like this and of the incredible, profound way that their life was changed in ways that sound unbelievable to us today. But it's a story that actually took place. They were a people who were very heavily in conflict with each other. They had identified the enemy. They knew who the enemy was. They had dug in their positions and they were fighting it out. And the song they began to hear was Silent Night. It was, after all, Christmas Eve, December 24, 1914. It's World War I. On one side of a large field was the British Army, and on the other side was the German Army. And although it's difficult from the accounts that we have to piece together an exact chronology or an exact picture of what happened, here's what it appears to us from what we have from that time. It seems that some soldiers on one side began to sing. And as they listened to the song drifting over the battlefield, these two armies who were very cold and weary with fighting somehow began to listen and to hear 
and to see things differently. Light was beginning to shine in a very dark place. They don't know exactly where it came from, but somebody on one of the sides called for a ceasefire. And then starting with a few people at a time, and later on joined by a few more, and then some more, and then a couple more people. Soldiers from both sides could be seen coming out into the field that had separated them, singing. Soon they were telling stories and exchanging jokes and gifts. Soldiers were taking out their wallets to show pictures of their family to the people who just a little while ago they had been fighting with. They began to celebrate Christmas together. Somehow they dared to believe that maybe, just maybe the things that united them were more important and were bigger than the things that separated them. And then they risked acting on it. In a rare moment of humility and grace, when they had laid down their weapons and actually saw the enemy up close, they realized that they were more alike than they were different. And they had a hard time figuring out why they needed to fight anymore. Sadly enough, when the commanders and politicians on both sides heard about what had happened, they moved quickly to put everything they could into motion to make sure this didn't happen again. It was, after all, messing up their war. Because winning, I guess, sometimes seems more important than healing. But only so if you don't hear the music or you won't hear the music. Which is not to say that the path which Zachariah sings about is always an easy or uncomplicated path, or one that is one that you take without risk or misunderstanding. It wasn't that for either Jesus or John. But it is to say that it's a path that's worth it. That's the song we're invited to join in on as we anticipate the celebration of the birth of the one that John was proclaiming. As to whether or not we sing along, I guess that's up to us.
as we are surrounded by these lights and candles reminding us of light shining into dark places and as we enter into the music that is sung and as we anticipate the celebration of your birth we pray that the same fragrance that lingered about you as the rose of Bethlehem might be one that people sense lingering about us as well Guide us, Lord, we pray, into the path of peace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.